Marty Scott is an activist, nonprofit leader, philanthropist, and an advocate for social justice. She's also the creator of the podcast, Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. Since this podcast was recorded during COVID-19, it was recorded outside on a porch. So you'll be hearing some cicadas, traffic noise, birdsong. I hope you enjoy that too. So here is Omishade Bernice Scott on The Thing About Aging. Omishade, before we started recording, you were talking about how you had been feeling a dissonance between revelation and feeling more free with the daily nitty-gritty, having to pay the bills and doing everything that needed to be done but that in your 50s you were handed an unexpected gift of being able to meld these two together and live more seamlessly. And I'm wondering what it was about turning 50 that enabled this to happen. The year after I was 50, so 2018, there were a lot of intense, traumatic life experiences okay. for me. And it just kind of like shook me all the way up. And so whatever lip service I had been paying, I feel like <laughs> the universe was ear hustling and was like, but do you really actually believe that about yourself? Like, are you going to do that for yourself? Well, let's see. Your brother's going to die, and that's going to shake the shit out of you and your siblings. And we'll see how you respond to that. Where I'm from, New Bern, Hurricane Florence came through and just all but destroyed New Bern. It's just like, all this shit you've done for the liberation and justice of all of these communities, are you going to take it home? Are you going to do that for your own people? And so I went home and did a lot of that. Mm. And um, <laughs> and then I was working for a national reproductive justice organization and I got fired. And I've never been fired from a job. Oh, that's, that's not actually true. When I was 14 or 15, whatever age it is that you can first start working in North Carolina, I got a job at a shitty pizza spot. Because <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of people had jobs at shitty pizza spots. Yeah. It was yeah. It's almost a badge of honor, right of passage. Right, right, right. Fired from the shitty from pizza the place. Shitty, from the shitty pizza place. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a job that you felt passionate about. Very. I still feel very passionate about um, mm-hmm. reproductive justice and still do consulting work around it. And so to go through a process of being fired and then being like, okay, oh, you are 51. My oldest at that time was 26 and Taj was nine. I was like, what, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you going to pay lip service to all the things that people ask you to speak about and provide and do? Are you going to are you going to offer that to yourself? To yourself. Mm. Are you going to offer that to yourself mm. and not feel like you're being lazy or irresponsible or a flake? Yeah. And so I spent my entire 52nd year trying to figure out how to unlearn some shit. And you know, I think that with all this happening with the multiple pandemics and uprisings and revolutions and revolutionary ways of thinking about how we can continue to exist in this in this place. I'm like, this is not going to be a, a finite offering to myself. Where it's like, yep, got it. Now I'm going to offer it to myself. I'm good. There's nothing else for me to do, ladies and gentlemen. Let me welcome to my TED talk. Let I am t- awake. I have I have made it. <laughs> let me let me let me let me give you the breadcrumbs of how this is done, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Now what I think I am being invited to do from myself, for myself, is just like be in this constant process of learning something new. I'm unlearning something old. It kind of goes reverse though, doesn't it? Like you have to unlearn before you can open the space. Right. And so you're just kind of like, hmm, I just learned something new today. And the reason why I was able to learn something new today is because I unlearned Um, some shit about myself and what I thought made sense or was important 
or make me valuable or make me worthy or make mm-hmm. me smarter. The unlearning, is that unlearning things that people told you about yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you went to my home, it's like, oh, can you show me what you've unlearned? I'd be like, this is the unlearning I've learned about my body. Let me tell you about my body. I literally posted today on Instagram a picture of me in four different bathing suits, this 53-year-old Rona body that is softer and fuller and thicker and and posited the question, can you be body positive and ages at the same time? And the answer is, of course you can. Mm-hmm. Of course you can. For myself even, right? Like I know that my youthfulness afforded me the opportunity to mask some of my insecurities around self-acceptance and self-confidence because I was younger, right? And when you're younger and the girls live up here yeah. and, and yeah. this is not as kind of holding it all in what? and, oh, and this yeah. is not as yeah, soft yeah. and you don't wake up with a full white beard, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then it's easier to mask. Yep. Yes. Because you can move in your performative posture and people are like, she's got it all together. But the truthfulness, the beautiful, raw truthfulness in aging is that you can't mask it as much. And should you mask it, right? Like, do you need... I, I have a performative nature, so I'm always going to walk with a posture. Mm-hmm. Just not... I mm-hmm. like it. A presence. Yeah. yeah. It's my yeah. thing. Yeah. But when it became a thing that also was masking hurt, that was reflecting whatever stories I was told around, how I'm supposed to look, who I'm supposed to love, who's going to love me, mm-hmm. where my worth lies, mm-hmm. right? Then that's problematic. And so I think the unlearning post-50 has been around all of these things. I feel like I've been sitting down and having multiple conversations with my 12-year-old self. That's the year my cycle started. And what did that mean for you? It was pretty significant, which is another reason why I felt like it was important to start this podcast and talk about menopause and aging. And not the from other a, end of the spectrum. Right, the other right. end of the spectrum, yeah. but not yeah, yeah. from a, a medical standpoint. And I can't tell you how many inbox messages I get around like, are you a doctor? Or do you do healing work around menopause? I'm like, I do healing work around menopause through story. Mm-hmm. And you bearing witness to someone's story and then interrogating your own story yep. around this journey. My mother was a nurse. And I felt like and she was a, my mom was fairly progressive for her generation. My mother was born in 1930. And I feel like she talked a lot about bodily autonomy. She really wanted my sister and I to have ownership of our bodies. Ownership, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she also wanted us to be prepared for the physiological changes that were going to come. You're going to get nice. your period. Yep. This is what's going to happen. You could talk to so me. So you knew what to expect. I knew what to expect. I was excited for it because I had read Judy Bloom's Are You There, God Is Me, Margaret. So yeah, I was um, yeah, we all. Yeah. So obsessed. Right? <laughs> But there's nothing at the other end. Of the which is why, right, which is why we need these conversations. Absolutely. Exactly. Do you think your mom, if she was still with us, would have had that conversation around menopause? Oh, yeah. I would press my mom to have these open conversations. Be like, I cannot believe we're having this conversation. I'm like, well, I, what's your answer? She's like, you are a trip. That's my answer. I'm like, okay. And I would let it go, whatever the topic was. And then she would come back later and she would say, well, and she would start to talk. And I was just, that wasn't that hard. And she was like, you are just something else. I'm so glad you trust me. And sometimes I don't need to know some of the Every, things. My mother said the same I don't thing. need to know. I don't need to hear Every everything. detail, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's horrifying. It's horrifying. 
But I, I, we had that relationship. Yes, and so. so when I was 12, I had a heightened sense of something's happening to my body. And people were also, there was an expectancy, right? People were like, so oh, we've got to get you a bra. I remember getting my training bra. I was so excited. I think it was a 28 or a 30 triple A. <laughs> Do you remember that size? So you really didn't. There was not a lot I had there nipples. I had large nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Large nipples, <laughs> and I was you had your training bra. What? We gotta train those nipples. We gonna train the nipples. <laughs> so excited to train those nipples, and I remember <laughs> going to school and getting tra- changed for gym, and my girlfriend's being like, "What are you wearing?" I'm like, "This is my bra," and they were like, "Your mama wasted her money. You do not need a bra." I was so pissed. I cried and I went home and I was like, Mommy, Michelle said that you wasted your money. She said, well, Michelle learned needs to mind her business. And I was like, mm, that's right. Because my mom was that kind of mom. Yeah. She needs to mind her business. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's right. I'm going to wear this bra with pride. But I also would, if her girlfriends came over, I'd be like, you want to see my new bra? She said, you have to stop pulling your shirt up and showing this <laughs> training bra to people. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. But she was already teaching you no body shaming. Like, these girls are trying to body shame you, and your mom's like, uh-uh, Absolutely uh, no. not not yeah. having it, mm-hmm. right? And so, the, and that's a lot of messaging to try to disrupt with, like, Bruce Lee karate As, precision. And your mom was right there. She was she was on her game. Mm-hmm. And then when I got my period, we were in Mr. Barnes's math class, and my best friend Sandy, I said, I started because I felt this weirdness in my panties. And she was like, mm. she went up to Mr. Barnes and she whispered in his ear. Okay. And we were 12 year old, 7th grade girls right. who got on his last nerves. And so he was like, get out of my class. Like, go. So we get to the nurse's office and Sandra announces to the nurse, her period has started. She needs a sanitary napkin. Well, it was the 70s, so she gave me some pampering. Do you remember pampering? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She gave me pampering and the largest sanitary napkin. It was the size of this book <laughs> and I had on faded glory denim jeans do you remember faded glories these jeans I had to lay on the bed I weighed I weighed like maybe 110 pounds 115 pounds and I still had to lay on the bed to zip these jokers up so you give me this huge ass sanitary napkin and she was like here go put this on I'm like I'm not gonna be able to do it <laughs> so, well, and you know I come out she's like Sandy's like, how you doing? I said, feel really weird. I get home and I call my mom at work and I'm like, mommy, my period came on today and she started to cry. She was like, oh, I'm so happy and I'm so excited for you. She came home and it was all the kisses and the hugs and she called my aunt and I got got care packages from my aunt. Oh, wow. So it was like a community celebration. It was a whole ass thing. But it was also for my aunts, I was getting messages like, now you can get pregnant, so you got to be careful. So my auntie, who adored us, sent me these seven-day-a-week panties. Those are my period panties. Monday, remember that? Sunday, Monday. I did not have... Were they labeled? They were labeled. No way! The panties had the days of the week, like, <laughs> kind of stitched into them. And they were all these pastel colors. Baby pink, baby blue, baby light. Wait, are these disposable, or are you supposed no. to wash them and then... They're like regular cotton, big-ass panties that come up to here, and it has okay. the days of the week on it. 
I call them period panties. I don't know if that's what they were called. Never heard of these. Seven day a week draws. So did the napkin like fit into the panties or you still had the belt? You still had the belt. Okay. Or, and so, and my aunt, she said, so me, why did you need special underwear to go with the, so in the period, in, so your period panties could be messy. Like if you had an accident, you wouldn't feel bad about getting those messy, but because apparently your other panties, you want to be preserved. Sparkling. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not even like anybody else was seeing my panties with me too. So she sent me seven day a week panties, a slip, a lightweight girdle. A full girdle, sanitary napkins with the adhesive, like the old school thick adhesive, sanitary napkins with a belt, yep. and OB tampon. I picked that little OB up, looked like, you know, I was like, what am I supposed to do, do with, with this? this? Yeah. I said, with my finger? I'm supposed to put this in my vagina? And she was like, yeah, I said, I don't even, what? No, never going to do that. Never, never. I was never I had no idea where it was. I had a mirror between my legs trying, trying to, figure to figure out. Trying to figure out, like, what? Where is this supposed to go? <laughs> and they're just like, just go in and take it and put it in. Put it in where? <laughs> so, and I, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I for sure started Black Girls Guide because I was like, we need these conversations right now around menopause and aging and our bodies and our relationships and the unlearning and so the learning. why do we have community celebration around menopause? Is it because it, we're signaling death, and then we have this weird relationship with death. And well, you know, I think in Western culture, we started to invisibilize and diminish ceremony around aging. You know, culturally speaking, there are rites and rituals associated with different points of your life, yes. right? And that when we were more connected to our indigeneity from wherever we came from, there was ritual for that. There were rituals around aging, okay. um, which is why I think that people feel affinity for the, the made mother crone kind of aspect of goddess worship and um, lunar cycles and moon cycles because they're like, oh, so there was this deference and respect and ritual around crones. Okay. And patriarchy and misogyny repackaged the crone as an evil wicked witch stepmother to take her power away to take her power yeah. away yeah. she lives in the woods she's old and crotchety and no brittle. one wants her no one wants there's nothing soft about her yeah. she's mean she eats children she's a succubus she takes sexual energy and she she just sucks it in for herself there's nothing radically reciprocal about her sensualness None of that. Mm-hmm. For those of us who want to push back against that, we're like, that's that's a crock of shit. Yep. And we also get to reclaim ritual and reclaim honoring. I do that for myself, especially because my, mo- my mother passed in 98. My, my last auntie to pass was in 2015. Two of my mom's best girlfriends are still alive, but that devoid of kinship around this moment is real present with me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I want to replicate this and create this in a more public content and be like, you can, you can do this, y'all. Like we can, we can explore this journey together. Be there for each other. For each other. Mm -hmm. And so last night I was on a, I'm on, I'm in a group chat with some girlfriends and we're all over 50. We were talking about aging and like the, the compliments that you get when people say you don't look your age. Yes, yes, yes. I want that to stop. And I'm like. Why is that a compliment? Right. So you're like, hmm. So does that mean that youthfulness is synonymous with beauty, um, worth, value, attractiveness, sh- strength, 
intelligence, creativity. Like, right, right. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. So I would love for someone to look at me and say, oh, you're vibrant. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a lot of vibrancy to you. That's ageless. Mm-hmm. I, I would love for folk to say that to me. And that helps me also not feel like 53. Right? Right. right. You know, right. I have a girlfriend who's turning 54 this weekend. And she was using this kind of language. She was like, my 53 looks like you're 35. I said, how come your 53 just can't look like a badass 53? Why can't right. you just be like the best 53 yeah. that you can be? Right? I'm Why rocking this age. Rock, yeah. I'm rocking yeah. the hell out of this. Yeah. I absolutely agree. That's so cool you said that because I've been thinking that same thing. And I find myself saying it. And now I'm like mm, reeling it back it's, in. It's, it's hard not to say. Yeah. It's hard because it's, it's, it's been inculcated into us. It's so a part of our hard wiring to compliment someone in a way to say, you look, well, interesting, because we don't do that with men. I'm like, you look great. Yes. And hard story. Yeah. Hard stop. Yeah. I would never say to a 72-year-old man, you look 30, and then have him be like, thank you. But I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. See what you think about this. That men can impregnate someone. till they die. till they die. Yeah. We, menopause means that we are no longer fertile. That's right. And women's worth Right. was tied to how many babies we made. So, in essence, you're worthless That's right. once you can't make babies. That's right. That is definitely a part of this westernized view of your worth once, you are not, once your womb no longer has the capacity or the ability to produce a child. And, again, when you look at cultures where there were intergenerational people, there was an intergenerational household, the role of the, the mother or the grandmother who was no longer having children, the deepness of that relationship she had to the grandbabies, to the children, creating ritual, keeping things safe, passing down cultural knowledge, mm-hmm. was yep. huge. Because I was looking up different things around aging. I'm like, well, how do people... In Asian culture, like what is what are their thoughts around aging, and same thing around you know, African American culture or Indigenous culture, and one I, one article I was looking at was talking about the role of the of the crone inside the home, and how she was revered, how she was revered for um, being a repository of the family history, right? How she was revered for her relationship to actually the younger children. Mm-hmm. Um, and her relationship um, to the culture and being a keeper of the culture. Like, yes. there was a really beautiful way in which she was the keeper of the culture. Um, and when you encounter that from a very white male Judeo-Christian perspective, you're like, Who's the, who are the keepers of the culture? The old women? No. That, that, that will not do. We've got to disrupt that. So what we start to do is we start to create narratives around these older women. So that they can write their history, his story right mm-hmm. and so you don't trust her mm-hmm. right you're mm-hmm. not going to take that poultice or that tincture or that elixir that she's giving you to help she's you your body because she's a witch mm-hmm. she's a witch get a burner <laughs> yeah yep exactly all right so how are we going to shift this narrative you know i'm a firm believer that the only way to shift the narrative is for it to you speak it mm-hmm. you got to speak it into existence um, and you've got to pull it apart and look at it mm-hmm. and have other people look at it with you. So it's not just me doing my own, like, excavating and pulling things apart and being like, this is fascinating. 
I need you to bear witness. Because <laughs> I do do that. I'm like, what the hell? I'm in the house talking to my cat. I'm talking to my 11-year-old. I'm like, you're right now. He's like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. mom. Thanks, mom. There goes mom again. <laughs> but having other people bear witness to it mm-hmm. feels critical. You cannot disrupt something that you don't believe to exist. Yeah. Right? It's, right. Like, it's like Grindle in the woods. If you don't see Grindle, you can't vanquish Grindle. Mm-hmm. You, you can disregard it. You can say, you know, Sharon, I don't hear anything. You're like, you don't hear that. Yeah. You don't hear those wild screams. You're like, I don't hear anything. I think that something's in your head. Let's just, let's just move on. You're like, I can hear it. So then once you get other people to be like, I hear it too. I see it too. What are we in peril from this narrative? Is it harmful? Am I in peril? Are you in peril? How do we disrupt it together? Mm-hmm. Right? How do we disrupt it? How do we vanquish it? How do we create an alternative narrative that holds us all in a place that's so loving, right? And I think that's really necessary for us to... These pivots are not based on an individual practice alone. I think individual practice is important. Mm -hmm. I think the work that I've done with my therapist and my girlfriends and my spiritual practice for my own individual growth and health has been invaluable. Mm -hmm. I also know 100% that being in community with other people who are like, I see that, I hear that, let's do this together, has been a game changer in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And so these last three years of being new into my 50s, I'll be 54 next April, and I feel it. What, in terms of energy level? Energy level, and I know I feel really present with my mortality. One was absolutely my brother's passing. Mm -hmm. But since we've been in Corona, just really constantly playing over in my head, there are some people who are not going to make it that I will know personally. Mm -hmm. And am I going to be one of those people? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I hear you saying that death has become closer Mm -hmm. feeling. So what now that you're doing this tango with death, what is your relationship? You know, um, I have a a really interesting relationship with death because I also walk with an identity and a practice around death and dying. Well, you're a death doula, doula, aren't Mm -hmm. you? It's a practice I'm honored to offer, but I don't particularly, I wouldn't say I like it. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. I think it's sacred. It's absolutely an extension of my spiritual practice, but I wouldn't say I enjoy it. So do you help the people that have, are left in grief, or do you also help people pass? The the passing piece is a really, really intimate exchange, and that I have done primarily for family members or, or friends, okay. starting with my mom. So I was present with her. It's a hell of a place to start. It is, it is a oh hell of an initiation. God. The initiation of your first parent to pass, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? And to be present with your parent when they pass, is a big deal and an honor from our ancestors to be like you have not only are you going to be there you're going to help her and i was like uh-uh because i had made a pact with myself when i was a kid i was like when my mom passes away i'm having nervous breakdown and i will not have any consciousness available to me i won't even know she's passed away so i can't feel it i won't be able right. to feel the okay. pain mm-hmm. or the sadness or the grief because i will have had a whole nervous breakdown and I'll be in the hospital somewhere taking meds and people <laughs> they'd be like you know your mama died I'm like who my mama don't know nothing about it so what an emotional maturity to be able to step into that and, wow and and not having any wiggle room to back out I guess I could have 
totally could have. I chose not to. I chose not to. I chose chose not to. Very selfless. Yeah. My aunt Cora was a hospice nurse. She was our doula, right? So like she was like, this is a process that we will all come to meet. We're all going to die. And she just held space for me and other family members as we tried to figure out what was happening. So she did not interrupt me around anything I wanted to do to make my mother comfortable. All the things I wanted to do, she was like, mm, that's a great idea. Supportive. Very supportive. Yeah. She would point out things physically. She was like, you notice that her heart rate has dropped significantly. She was like, touch her feet. And I touched my mom's feet. She's like, they're cold, right? I said, they are. She's like, she's leaving. Oh, lovely. So you were prepared for the next step. She was... Yeah, she was giving me... She was like wayfinding. She Mm -hmm. was like, see that? See that? See Mm -hmm. that? And you're like, yeah, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And it's a natural process. It's a natural... It's a natural process. And the moment my mother left, when she was gone, it didn't register. My my aunt was like, she's gone. I was like, oh. Did you feel a difference? There was a really strong energy that last 36 hours of her life. She was seeing people. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like for sure my dad showed up. She, I was I was sitting in front of her and she would look behind me and I'm, and she was intubated. I was like, do you see somebody? They were gathering. To they were gathering. They were mm. gathering. And so th- mm. there was a really strong energy in the room with her and also a strong energy with her body as it was moving away, like her life force. I've been, I've been a birth doula too. And so like, it's the same kind of energy in the room when the baby's crowning, right? Where you're just like, this person is about to arrive. Like legit, they are, they are here. So you the can, energy around the two gates is the same. It's very similar. Oh. It's very similar. The coming and the going. Yep. It's, very, it's, it's like that moment where you're like, and they're here. And that moment where you're like, and they've gone home. And they've gone home. Wow. And they've gone home. So your relationship with death is acceptance and familiarity? Or? I guess so. And it's, how does that inform your life and aging? Yeah. It's interesting because... One of our very, very good girlfriends passed away three years ago, and I, we and she asked us to be there to bear witness. It tore me up. Mm. Like, it was just like, I do not want to do this. And I called one of my spiritual teachers, and I was like, so Cynthia is about to make her transition. She has asked me if I will help create an ancestor altar. She has asked me if I'll be present when she passes away. And I just started bawling, crying. I was like, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. And he was like, listen, cry all the tears you need to cry. And you'll cry again when she's gone. But you were made to do this. So get it together and do it. And I was like, he was like, I get it. I know you love her. I know you don't want to do this. But you're gonna. Because it's not about you. Mm. It's about her. her. And what she needs. And what you have learned how to do. And you have learned how to hold space for either the individual or the family who are experiencing this. And what you do is you just give them encouragement and consideration like this is okay. Like it really is. There's no need to rush anything. And I think about my own mortality, you know, I, I have some cognitive dissonance around it. Thinking around my boys and what my transition would mean for them and have I prepared them to be okay without me. I'm, I'm not currently partnered, and so, I, you know, I also think about, like, oh, well, I don't want to die before I'm, like, partnered again. You know, so that it makes me think about things that are important to me. I would like to be partnered. I would like to be having extremely good sex right now in my 50s. 
is something that I would like to invite myself more consciously into receiving and expressing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times when I feel at peace around my mortality and there are times I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck's sake. And in either one of those moments, I don't, I try not to get overly confident mm-hmm. in my acceptance or I don't, I try not to get overly anxious in whatever fear or concern I might be navigating in that moment. I'm just like, you know what? It's really okay. If you're feeling a little freaked out right now, mm-hmm. you can move through it. Let it move through you. Yeah. You know, be gentle with yourself. You know, yeah. Chill out. Mm-hmm. Chill out. And you're like, all right, I'm going to chill out. So that's kind of been where I'm at. And, and during this pandemic, um, have definitely been called on for folks who are trying to figure out how to create ritual virtually for family members or friends that they've lost as a result of COVID are also lost in the moment we're in. They were all, we can't get together. We can't get together and, and grieve. Right. And so this right. this inability to engage in collective lament or grief or ritual. And you know, as Southern folk, we we like to show up at your house with a trough of food. <laughs> it's how we show love and care, yeah. right? Or just to sit. You know the the wake. You know the. the I love old school wakes in the home. Then people just come in and out of the house. It is a constant flow of energy in and out of the house. People extending love and care. Some people don't say a word. They just come and sit down. There are people who come in and they talk the whole time they're there. But they all show up. They all Mm. show up. Mm. And they are all received. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the ones who burst into the home full of emotion and tears, they are received. They are received. Even if someone has to say to them, come on, let's go, let's go, let's, 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 let's go out on the porch. You want some water? What you need? It is a collective lament. We're taking care of each other in this moment together. So what do we do right now in this situation? Well, some of the things that I have um, suggested is people being very, very clear that energy is neither created or destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's transmuted. It's transformed. But it's not destroyed. And you can create portals for energy in your home with intention. So as a health space with helping people create ancestor altars, right, um, for newly departed family members or also to connect with family members who have been deceased for a while to ask them for assistance in this moment, right? Like, whatever people's spiritual practice is or lack thereof, it it is an undeniable, undisputable physiological fact that you have ancestors. Because if you didn't, we wouldn't be talking. Right. So, I do think there is a way where you can tap into ancestral energy. And so, helping people set up altars and, you know, I know you're not going to be able to go see your uncle buried in Guyana, but you can create an altar for him, and you can sing songs for him, and maybe your family who's Guyanese, y'all all can remember what was his favorite dish, and y'all can all commit to cooking that, mm. right, and like Sunday we're going to make roti or whatever, mm-hmm. and we're all going to eat roti on Sunday for Uncle Sonny's and even though I'm not with you in your home, as I'm cooking it, I feel you, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about you. I might even FaceTime you and be like, do we use coriander in this or not? Right? You can do that. Is it sufficient? No, but we can make do. Mm -hmm. 
I've gone to three Zoom memorials since okay. COVID. My eldest son's family, his dad is Jamaican, and his great-grandfather passed away, and they had this huge Zoom call. So you've got the younger family members like, Auntie, when you come on, you have to, you have to mute yourself. And she's like, what? Mute? Where is the mute button? What? Am I muted? <laughs> Am I muted now? Oh, I don't know how to make this. Thing. You know, and so there's all of this, like, real-ass human shit going mm-hmm. on while people are trying to also be Which like... Which is kind of what would <clears throat> happen with everyone in the house. It would, and, but it's been transformed into a into virtual a, space. Right. I was crying and laughing at the same time, and I'm texting... My son's name is Che. I'm texting Che's stepmom, JB. I'm like... This is the best funeral ever. And now that you say that, it is like, it is like the wake. You know, like, people are being received mm-hmm. however yes. they show yes. up. And there's no judgment, yeah. you know. And my, my friend Aja, who had COVID, and then her father passed away. I don't think he had COVID, but he was already very ill. Okay. So they weren't able to be with him when he passed away. That's my biggest fear, yeah, for my folks. So one of the things I, I have... In a similar way with birth doula, you ask people what they need. What do you need right now? Do you need me to rub your back? Do you need some water? Do you need to take a nap? Mm -hmm. Do we need to quiet this room? Do we need to ask people to step out so you can rest? What do you need? Because each birth is very unique. It's the same thing around grief, too. What do you need right now? Mm -hmm. So I asked her, what do you need? She said, I need people to talk to me about normal shit. Because we're all unique. So what we need is, and that I think is the greatest gift, is to ask. What do you need? Yeah. I think another thread for me around death and dying and birth is that you are the expert of your own story. Mm-hmm. You are the expert of your own experience. And people need to believe you. And it's, it is a real powerful to say to someone, I believe you. I like, trust what? your own intelligence. I trust your intelligence. So there was a, a joint study between Yale and Howard University. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've read this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said that the African-American community, the women did not turn to doctors for mm-hmm. advice. And of course, there is wisdom in that, given that there was just a, a study done by University of Connecticut that zero in, in the OBGYN program, right. there was zero information taught about, about menopause. menopause. Right. So why would we go to the doctor? I mean, not to say that there aren't doctors that aren't specialists. Right. And, and, you know, I haven't had a cycle in seven years, so if my, I miraculously started bleeding again, they'd be like, oh, you probably have cancer, you should come in. But other than that, other than that they, don't, yeah. they don't really need to talk to you about anything. No. Well, you could still talk to me about how I am navigating mm-hmm. all this change. Physiological, emotional, mental, spiritual, sexual change. Yeah. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. It was a pretty bad year. I specifically curated a relationship between my therapist and my primary care physician. Because I knew that my primary care physician was going to put me on meds. Mm -hmm. And I needed my primary care physician and my therapist to be on the same page about my care. So I matchmade. I was like, y'all need to be talking to each other Mm -hmm. about me. Because I'm a little fucked up right now. And I need y'all both to be on the same page around my care. Mm -hmm. What my care plan is. And they did. They were willing to. And they were like, okay, it's no problem. And so. We just need to ask. And right. what will your experience be? How will you be held? How will your how will you be affirmed as being the expert of this experience? If the medical industrial complex already has issues with seeing people fully and believing people, especially black people, mm-hmm. your pain is not real. 
there's no sense of urgency around what you might need for care. And that has had dire consequences. Which is why probably the community has learned, like the study yeah. affirmed, that you turn to each other. You turn to each other. For information. That's where you go. Mm. That's where you go. Mm-hmm. So it's been really interesting to read some of these studies and read some of the history. Like some of the historical information around how they treated menopause was just horrific. Poisonous things that they would insert into women's wounds. Really? To treat menopause. And hysteria, and that your womb was was the center of your hysteria. It's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. And even though that science, that was considered real science, yes, yep. right, has been debunked, there are, I think, vestiges of that in terms of cultural practices in the medical field, in terms of how people look at women. And when we talk about how we're experiencing things, and they're like, I think you're just stressed. Or it's just menopause pat on the hand, you know. The, like, the paternalistic ways in which people respond to your real-life shit. And you're like, I don't need you to pat my hand mm-hmm. or my head. Mm-hmm. I need you to hear me and think with me around a remedy. Because it's affecting my life. Which is valuable. Yeah. My, my quality of life is valuable. It's important. The longevity of my life is, is, is important. And so I need people around me who are invested in both those things. Um. The study also said that black women tend to have earlier onset, Mm -hmm. um, that the symptoms tend to be more dramatic, Mm -hmm. that they tend to have additional symptoms, hot feet, body odor, bloating, and dizziness, Mm -hmm. and rage, which they said may be tied into the systemic racism Mm -hmm. of just not being heard. Yeah. The raginess of menopause. Mm -hmm. I feel like 100% of the people I've talked to have talked about some level of rage and embracing that Mm -hmm. rage and the raginess you you experience. I think that as a black woman, I walk in the world stressed pretty much most of the time. It's levels, but it's never not there. The baseline is higher, you're saying, to start. start And then you pile this on top. This is a Gordian knot, right? So you've got racism, sexism, ageism, classism, Right? So it's like this Gordian knot that you're always managing. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, today didn't have to worry about ageism. I just had to worry about racism. Great. It's wonderful. Great day. Some days it's all of the all shit, of all at the same time. And, and then like, you got hormones going crazy at the same time. Going bonkers. Estrogen is like, I will see you later. <laughs> I will take my leave while you're managing all of these isms. And invite my buddy testosterone to come on in. Who's like, sup? You're like, no, I don't, I don't no. Can you go get estrogen back? Because you're not helpful. I, when I was diagnosed with depression, I talked about rage with my therapist. And he said that sometimes rage is also a function of depression. Anger is also a characteristic of depression that people often don't explore. We tend to think about depression as sadness or weepiness or lethargy. Restlessness, insomnia, numbness. But rage is also present in Mm -hmm. in depression. Mm -hmm. Anger is present in depression. When I'm experiencing rage, when am I being invited to investigate? When am I being invited to experience? It's a part of your personhood to experience anger. Mm -hmm. It's what you do with that. You can use that emotion, actually, as a tool to invite deeper conversation and deeper truth 
whether it's just a conversation you're having with yourself or with people you say you're in relationship with or community with, you can use that tool. Mm-hmm. The same way love is a tool to have deeper conversation, anger can be too. And we see that with the unrest that's happening. Mm. People are angry. Mm-hmm. They've had it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, cut the shit. And so it has invited us all to bear witness to this deep anger at this country. I'm angry with the United States. I'm pissed with the United States. So over. Like, could you not be so abusive? Yeah. Have been leaning into a practice around transformative justice versus restorative justice. Restorative justice models would say, okay, we got a bad situation that has happened. We need to restore. We need to work on restoring balance, restoring healing, restoring communication, restoring health. That would work if what we're restoring was already healthy to begin That's with. That's what I was going to say. There was no balance. There was no truth. There was no right. Honor. Right. So what we're used to is a punitive system. Mm-hmm. You do something, I'm going to punish you for it. I'm going to punish you by taking something away or putting you away or banishing you. Like, in some way, I'm going to punish you. There's not an invitation to be more clear about the context around what has happened and to think about what needs to transform so we don't, this, that this is not possible again. Rage is present in menopause. And because black women are moving in the world with levels of stress that folks don't understand, when they experience that rage, they're just like, she is an angry black woman. Because that's how we can dismiss her. It's very dismissive. Mm-hmm. We invisibilize her. Mm-hmm. We dismiss her. We, we create a stereotype or a trope that basically chokes the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and people will watch you do that and be like, well, you know, she is a, she is a bit much. Yeah. She is a yeah. bit much. And I'm, I, I have said this probably 50 times. Since I turned 50, I now understand why black women are so gorgeous and beautiful and smell so good and are so fucking angry. Which is definitely a conversation I would want to have with my mom now. I'm like, I get it. I understand, mommy. I understand. Because I'm trying to keep myself alive. I'm trying to keep my boys alive. I'm holding space for my girlfriends and my sisters and my family members. And this country is trying to kill us. And I'm also, like, looking at these chin hairs and this new belly. Well, and also it's the point in our lives where everything changes. Yeah. You know, there's empty nest. Our parents are yeah. getting sick yeah. or they died. Or, it's, I a mean, it's, just, it's a lot. It's a, a lot. It's a lot of stuff. I've been noticing on Instagram these calls for brand ambassadors. Want people who will be associated with their brand who represent a variety of, of identities and body types and everything. I don't see a lot of older people. The same way in which you call people out around body shaming and fat phobia mm-hmm. and ableism need to be called out around ageism. Mm-hmm. You're doing the same thing. How do we address that? How do we disrupt that? How do we interrogate that? How do we, move, how do we create an alternative to that? Beautiful. Yeah. There was a thing about skin, mm-hmm. about how the melanin deficient, mm-hmm. the MDs of the world, we tend to wrinkle more, mm-hmm. and that it actually goes deeper that our bone structure mm-hmm. is not as strong mm-hmm. as African-American mm-hmm. descent. Mm-hmm. The bone density. Mm-hmm. And then there was, there were, a study did that sometimes older black women, because they look younger, don't get the respect right. 
Right. So you got it coming from all sides. So I was saying to someone today, I was like, I would like for someone, maybe that someone is me, to create a, a crone fellowship where people are able to do something creative and they're over 50. Make little mini grants of three months, six months, a year. Where oh, you could, I love you that. Do whatever, because so much was invested in me in my 20s and yes. 30s. And you're learning together and people are investing. You get a coach and there's, there's professional development. Right, right. And that shit cuts right off. When you, it's, it's like the magic number. You hit 50, you know, ain't nobody invested in you anymore. Omishade, is there anything else that you would like to say? I would really like for us to be more gentle with ourselves and to give ourselves more credit. Um, more credit for our ability to, like, do something different. And to also not be hard on ourselves in retrospect. One of the things I did that was not healthy or useful for me was to mean girl my past selves. Mm. Right? So it kind of bullied my past selves where it's like, you were so problematic when you were 26. That shit was not cool. Or, you know, that thing you did when you were 33, that was ridiculous. Like, it's so unfair. Oh, wow. I just was doing this a couple weeks ago. Okay. So unfair. Mm -hmm. It's so unfair. And so what I had started to do was to banish older versions of myself and be like, I'm no longer that person, I'm no longer that person, I'm no longer that person, as opposed to collecting all of these versions of myself and be like, I know why you did that. Mm -hmm. You did it because you loved us. The way you loved us might not have been the healthiest way, mm -hmm. but I'm, I don't want you to go away. Like I really want all of us to be healthy together. So the 12-year-old Omi with her faded glory jeans, the 25-year-old mama as she was figuring out how to be a mama at 25, the 42-year-old who was like, I'm going to get divorced and send my child off to college and start all over again. Like, I don't want any of those versions of me to feel like I was a problem. And I, I absolutely had started to invest in that narrative of, like, I'm no longer that person, and that person is a problem. They're not invited to this place that I'm trying to create. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Mama Jackie and I talk about this all the time, the collecting of yourself, mm -hmm. the collecting of your medicine, yes. the collecting of your stories, and, like, even the ones that are so hard. Like, it's still yours. And we wouldn't be where we are now without we all of that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Mm. So, um, I try to now not use the language of regret. Where I'm like, I so regretted that relationship. Or I so regretted working with this group. I was like, no. I was really challenged in ways that I could never have anticipated by that relationship. But I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. Because it absolutely is making me who I am right yeah. now. So gratitude. So, so, so have, I need to have some gratitude for that heart, mm. that, that challenge. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so thank you. much. I'm thank glad you. I was able to come out to Mabane and hang out in Mabane. If you have any ideas of guests or topics, please email at thethingaboutaging at gmail.com. This is Sharon Saltzgiver, and that's The Thing About Aging. Thank you.